This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. And we're back. After a long absence since I think June or July, with the high school season quickly approaching here in St. Louis, Coach Ray and myself, Coach Catelli, decided it was time to bring back the podcast. And we were in luck as through some connections Coach Ray had, we were able to land a really, really, really great interview uh, with Coach Janai Kerr. Uh, He was a member of the U.S. men's national team for 12 years, played internationally as a goalie and a field player, uh, and he is currently employed as the sport growth manager uh, for USA Water Polo. Part of the reason we wanted to talk to him, obviously, was just about his life experiences, but also uh, because there is a Midwest Zone Clinic uh, occurring next month um, in St. Louis, and we wanted to kind of get the word out about that to try and get as many athletes, coaches, and referees to attend. So here are the the details on that. Athletes, on February 3rd and February 4th, there is a clinic at MICDS, that's Mary Institute Country Day, um, in St. Louis, on February 3rd, Saturday, 3.30 to 7.30 p.m., and on February 4th, 8 to 12 a.m., obviously, in the morning. Uh, For individuals 10 and under, there is a splash ball activity on February 3rd from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m., also at MICDS. Where can you sign up? Visit www.5meter.com and that is 5meter as in the number 5 and then meter.com and then click on the location tab and then click on Missouri. Um, For our referee certification and coaching continuing education, same location, MICDS, February 3rd, 3.30 to 7.30 in the evening, and February 4th, 9 to 12 in the morning. Again, I think more information can be found at the USA Water Polo website. I know I'm signed up. I know Coach Ray is signed up, and we are both very excited to attend this clinic and get to meet some of the people that are going to be putting it on, including Coach Shania Kerr. With that being said, we're going to jump right into the interview. So, uh, well, we'd like to welcome everybody here to the Nearside Low podcast. We have a special guest on tonight. Um, we want to thank him wholeheartedly as uh, we did this, I think, about a week ago. And uh, Coach Ray and I, we're not audio jockeys, even though we might think we are, and we screwed some stuff up. Um, so Coach Kerr was kind enough to spend another uh, evening with us to uh, try and re-record this and We've done some test runs, and we think it's going to turn out great. So um, without further ado, uh, we'll introduce our guest for um, this particular uh, week, and that is Coach Janai Kerr um, from California. And I guess we'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself real quick. Just tell us who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into your background and, and ask some questions. Welcome, Waterpole World. Um, thanks, Ray and, and Charles, both for having me back <laughs> on again. I almost feel like a regular on your show now. <laughs> No, this is phenomenal to be able to share some of my my insight that I've been able to come across over the last few decades of loving the sport just as much as you guys. Um, most recently, I've been named the USA Water Polo Sports Growth Manager. You know, working very closely with Mark Carney and Marty Samuels, um, the Water Polo Office, to kind of fulfill everyone's dream of growing the sport um, domestically as well as hopefully internationally. Um, because we've all been impacted in such a great way by water polo and want to be able to kind of continue to grow it and give back to the rest of the community that's missing out. 
So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with water polo to begin with. <laughs> that's Literally. a Fox 40, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a Fox 40 water polo whistle. Had I known at the time that what was referees calling fouls here and there, I probably would have walked away. But I actually thought it was a basketball game going on and walked into a, the gym to find it empty but followed the whistles out back to the pool and watched a cool-looking sport being played. Had no idea that it was water polo. Had no idea that they could have touched the ground and definitely had no idea that they were wearing their underwear. So I was interested and intrigued. Next day at school, I started asking my friends what their sport was being played in the fall besides football, and they didn't know. So fortunately, one of my teachers overheard me and said it was called water polo. And we had a, t- a team off campus, so that day I literally got two of my basketball buddies to go and try out. And funny story, but true story, is the water polo coach's eyes lit up as he sees these three big basketball athletic looking, I stress the word looking guys, <laughs> walk on the pool deck. Uh, you know, my, my friend who was the center at 7-1 uh, lasted about 45 minutes because he didn't know how to egg beater when we transitioned from the – shallow into the deep end he literally got out of the pool dripping wet in his basketball shorts kind of going back to the point where i didn't know that everybody was also in their turbos um and we showed up in basketball shorts and going back to you know good old-fashioned parenting um remember my parents told me not to quit something just because i didn't like it at first um stuck out the rest of the season about a month or so and realized how much i had to grow in the sport because it was so uniquely different from the land sports I was accustomed to, um, you know, I was st- I'll call myself a, a standout basketball player and track athlete. Um, and I liked the learning curve because every single day I was being challenged with the athletes that were around me. And how, well, how old were, like, what, was this high school or were oh, you in eighth grade? Or no, no, I was in high school and actually it was my sophomore year. So two years into my high school career, um, I ended up transferring schools to Coronado and having to sit out for one year because of the transfer rules. And so my first full water polo season was my senior year. Wow. So, so you went from playing three years um, in high school then to going to play at uh, UC Irvine then for college. Is that, is that right? Uh, correct. I was really fortunate, kind of, once again, going back to that being athletic looking, um, you know, six foot eight and. Um, coaches thought I had a lot of potential. Unfortunately, I was matched up with a coach and teammates that were willing to push me in college to actually utilize my work ethic and become, you know, the athlete or experienced athlete that I became. And then from, from college, you, you went on to obviously a lot of international competition. Uh, tell us a little bit about going from college to the Olympics and just your experiences with that. Yeah, um, going going into college, I was just trying to get every single opportunity I possibly could. I tried out for the U.S. Junior National Team and got cut. Um, and so, like most people, you show up to the next practices anyway. Um, you know, 20 years later, listening to the coach's perspective on they're taking bets on how long I was going to continue showing up, knowing that I was cut. And I didn't have any problems going because I realized that I was going to be pushed by the top, you know, 15 athletes in the country, even if I was number 200, just to get that experience. Um, and I took those learning, those learning moments, and took them back to my college practice and worked on fine-tuning the skills that I needed to, to get to the next level. Tried out for the junior national team the following year and made it, and became one of the team captains. Um, and I think that's when I really set my eyes on training for the Olympics. 
Um, my first Olympic experience, though, was in 2000, and I got to watch it on TV because I was cut from that team as well. Um, you can kind of hear the trend here of getting cut from these teams, but being stubborn or strong-willed, however you want to put it, I kept with it and trained another four years, real thinking that you know the only side effect was I was going to get in the best shape of my life and learn a lot of things, travel the world, meet, you know, meet some amazing people. And in the end, it paid off you know, beyond my wildest dreams of being able to represent the U.S. Um, on the water polo team with five of my or five total um, UC Irvine graduates that I trained with in college, and you know we all stuck it out and pushed each other with you know some phenomenal athletes from different universities: Stanford, UCLA, Long Beach State, um, just to name a few, and we're able to go to the Olympics as a team. So, like, talk a little bit about the Olympics, at the, I guess the 04 Olympics. Like, you know, I, I would envision, like, you know, I feel like here in St. Louis, there is a, the water polo community is relatively small, and there's a lot of camaraderie uh, between the coaches and between not just, you know, one team, but other teams and athletes. Everyone plays club with each other, so on and so forth. Like, is that what it was like in 04? Like, do you guys hang out with the, the Australian national team and eat, eat like, you know, if you see them in the mess hall, you eat with them, or is it pretty like we're there to win? We don't want to talk to our opponents. You know, kind of. I'm just curious, is what is the what's the community like at the at the Olympic level? For the most part, the water polo teams throughout the world are extremely close, as long as you're not competing against each other. So the Olympics was one of those times when you're competing against each other, but it was fun to go and meet other athletes from other countries, from other disciplines, and hang out with them you know, in the cafeteria and try different foods and, and learn, try, attempt to learn new languages and cultures, um, you know, all in a condensed period of time. But once, you know, you get to that pool deck before you even get in the water, it's all game time. Um, outside of Olympic years, when you see the same, you know, top 10 teams throughout the, in the world on a pretty consistent basis, you become very close with them. So after competitions, whether it's world championships or, you know, world league games or, um, other things like, like in that nature, you become really close. Um, you know, do you hear about exchange students, you know, coming over to the States and vice versa? It's similar with water polo that they may be your toughest rival, but once that game is done, you know, you guys are hanging out and, and becoming family friends. So I mean, there's probably some people listening to this that, uh, may, maybe are interested in trying to play it, play the Olympics, which I know is a, I mean, a very far off goal, but what, I mean, what, what, how, how did you feel about making the team and what were some things that you learned in the process of, I guess, setting that goal and eventually making it? To enjoy the process, number one. And I think that's not only for an Olympic goal, that's a lifelong process, um, you know, because even it's similar to your entire high school career. It's a four-year cycle. So someone might have a, a goal now, of, you know, going to states or winning a league title. That's something that they're setting a goal on within one year or even three months of a season. You know, Olympic um, quad is four years of training with no guarantee that there are no injuries throughout the, that cycle, that, you know, your team qualifies. So you have to be able to will, be willing to put in all the effort with zero regrets and enjoy the process at the same time. Because if you're not enjoying it, it's, you're not going to be able to go 100% every single day. So with whatever goals – our listeners, our young water pole aspiring athletes are, are aiming for, um, make sure you enjoy it. You know, make sure that you're pushing yourself, you're challenging yourself, not only with what goals your coaches set for you, but individual goals in a practice. You know, find someone else that's as focused, as dedicated, 
and match up with that person every single drill. So you guys are pushing each other consistently. Awesome. And then, so so after all your experiences playing, you transitioned to doing a lot with coaching at, at all the various levels, all the way up from from kids all the way up through college and beyond. So uh, what, what are some things you learned from coaching at all those various levels? And I guess as a follow-up question, what what do you think, having coached at all those levels, that we need to do a better job of doing, of teaching kids at a younger level? Um, I think you say younger level, but I think it's all levels. I'm just honestly learning how to be able to catch the ball in a balanced position. So many people focus on just shooting that they really don't focus on being balanced as they catch the ball with a good egg beater base, use their left their offhand because there's a lot of lefties, so someone be right hand in the water. But for most people, using their left hand to slide around an opponent, um, to be able to drive with the ball, to give and go, do multiple things from whatever position they're receiving the ball. Um, I work with a lot of athletes on making bad passes. Not horrible passes, but just bad passes because realistically in the game, the ball is not always landing precisely where you want it. But if you can adjust your body position to slide and meet the ball and catch it all in one position, or sorry, all in one movement, then you're going to be ahead of 99% of your competition. A great example of that is Tony Azevedo. Rarely is he, rarely is he trying to shoot over people, but he's sliding and shooting around people. He's, you know, doing a really, really, really quick catch and release to catch a uh, goalie off guard off of a good cross pass. Um, you have to be prepared for any scenario. So starting with a good egg beater base, so you're not bouncing up and down, um, you'll be able to go up and hold or be able to slide is really, really important. So is that something that you practice out of the water as well or do various things uh, with strength training, or is that something primarily, as you said, by – I mean, practicing them receiving bad passes or other things in the water that um, you really can perfect and improve? Uh, for me, it, honestly, it all goes back to egg beater. You know, for most athletes and even coaches, once someone knows how to egg beater, you move on. But look at swimming. You know, once you learn how to swim, it's not, you, don't, you, stop, you don't stop perfecting your stroke. Michael Phelps, you know, after eight Olympic golds, he's still working with a coach to work on fine, 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 motor skills and technique where the angle of his fingertips are touching the water, how far he's pulling. It's the same thing with egg beater. You want to be as effective and as efficient as possible, like a synchronized swimmer, because majority, I'm not going to say a percentage, but a majority of the time and skill comes from your how efficiently you can egg beat or move in the water. Um, swimming obviously is a big part, but once you transition after 10 seconds or so, most of the remaining time on the shot clock is all going to be in a horizontal or you know diagonal vertical position seeing that you work with kids of all various levels i'm sure you see kids that have been playing for a number of years whose egg beater still is not what you like it to be or or could be improved i mean what's what's one common mistake you see with the egg beater or or one thing that um that coaches or kids could focus on when they're when they're in the water using it alternating legs um, I wish this podcast was actually a video, but so we could demonstrate. Um, but if you think about egg beater, we always say one leg than the other leg. And if you look at some of the most dominant egg beaters that we have had um, in the U.S., someone like Merrill Moses or Jesse Smith with this really wide range of um, motion through their hip flexors, 
their knees are rarely going below their hip line. And rather than alternating one leg straight and the other knee coming up and high, they actually have both legs out to the side, egg being really wide. Women, a lot of times, I think, are a lot more efficient at this. You look at some of the national team athletes, and it looks like they're flying or floating in the water because their egg beater is so high, their knees are so close to the surface of the water at all times. Not only do they have a higher base, but then when it goes time to do that breaststroke kick, they're not kicking off of one leg, they're actually kicking off two legs. So is that something that comes naturally or that you really focus on with various drills to try and get kids to understand? Definitely various drills. Um, I think one thing just focusing on increasing range of motion. So I'm one of the few coaches that tells athletes to float on the ball. And in fact, we'll give them two balls to hold uh, one in each hand, but force them to bring their knees to the surface and actually touch the ball with their knees. Uh, so continuing on the coaching front, I know we'd mentioned this earlier, you know, I, I like I, I like to learn things about the sport, and I love whenever I've been out to California for Junior Olympics, we always go out a day or two early, and we get to practice with some other clubs, and I just love like to pick the brain and learn from the, the coaches that are out there. What are some resources, you know, if we wanted to learn more about how to properly egg beat, or we wanted to learn more about balancing, or, or how to run an efficient six-on-five, like, what are some sources we could go to, um, and that'll kind of lead into the clinic that's coming up, but what are some other sources we could go to, to to learn as a coach? I'm a visual learner, so I love YouTube. Um, only thing was sometimes I get distracted with, with the next autoplay and watching some really cool highlights. Um, the instructional side of thing, CWPA and CAP 7 tip of the week has been phenomenal because they break a lot of smaller drills down in short increments. Um, USA Water Polo is expanding on their library of videos that are going to be available to you know, not only athletes but also coaches, and it's going to be a lot more streamlined. I think that's a project that Mark Carney is undertaking, which is going to be, I don't know, I don't want to say um, revolutionizing you know, the way that we have access to information, but the library and the format I think is going to be a lot more streamlined and, and useful for somebody searching for specific um, skills drills. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk here in a little bit about the clinic coming up here in St. Louis, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about your position as sport growth manager, which uh, was announced by USA Water Polo in September of this year. Can you just tell us a little bit about um, what, what you're planning to do in that role and why that position was attractive to you? It was attractive to me because that's – been my goal i think ever since i got truly immersed in the sport um everywhere i go i'm always you know trying to promote it whether it's you know a family with a young kid in a grocery store that i don't know if they've ever seen a water pole ball or pool pool set up before um but having the support now of usa water pole and the resources to be able to help you know whether it's starting up a club like this club that just started with the ymca in alabama helping a a club team grow like they're doing in down down in texas with joe linehan uh, i think it's going to be beneficial for everybody so obviously on the club level it's one side but i think that it's going to be beneficial to have a team of people really trying to grow the sport it's obviously something everybody wants but to have a really focused plan especially around demographics that are going to be able to geographically support additional teams, uh, you know, be able to give the support for resources 
that include referees and coaches so that as we do get more members, they'll be able to have higher level coaching and playing opportunities in their specific regions so they won't have to travel out of state. They'll be able to have a network of high-level competition within driving distance form. So I often see in USA Water Polo emails the phrase water polo in every pool. So what 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 things will you guys do to support that? I mean, specifically, I mean, if you think about Missouri's case, I mean, we've got a number of pools, particularly in the Kansas City area, but no water polo there. Uh, USA Water Polo's partnership with CAP7 and their polo in a pod, I think it's going to be huge for programs that want to add where they can literally have a pod shipped out that includes balls, inflatable goals that anybody at any age can can maneuver and, and inflate and carry around. It's not a it's not an accident waiting to happen with some of the bigger, heavier goals. Um, and then the other thing with that is it's storage. You know, some of these pools that are have swim teams most of the year, you can add an inflatable goal during water pool season or just for the day and then deflate it and put it out of the way. Um, splash ball is huge, introducing the sport to younger and younger athletes so that we're not just getting, you know, the athletes that weren't attracted to other sports or didn't make other sports, but athletes that are introduced at a young age and could play anything but actually fall in love with water polo and stick with it. I guess growing water polo at higher levels of competition, first of all, for, for those for those. Uh, athletes that are listening that want to play in college currently in high school or uh, maybe maybe even a little bit younger like what what advice would you give them do some research legitimately think about several things think about where you want to live for four years of your life think about what you want to study think about what type of a coach you want to play for how competitive a team you want to play for and then start cross-referencing those categories and see if what schools are overlapping once those you find schools that overlap make sure that you're proactive and email coaches and make sure you also email the assistant coaches just to double the chance of a response you have to realize that a lot of times coaches are coaching both genders so they're going almost directly from the men's season into the women's season with very little downtime for recruiting don't expect them to have you know, the time and resources to come and see you play in person. When you do come play in a state where a college is located, uh, make sure that they know ahead of time your schedule, um, the cap number that you're going to be wearing, because sometimes everybody starts to blend together with, you know, just their head and shoulders out of the water. Um, but once again, just be proactive with the emailing and open lines communication. Try to visit multiple schools on a spring break so you can get a good feel for the campus and the team um, atmosphere and then kind of go from there. We want to, speaking of like learning, here's an opportunity for, you know, you know, our athletes and, and obviously our coaches and stuff to learn. Um, February 3rd and 4th at MICDS. Um, and you guys can look this stuff up, I think on the USA water polo website, uh, you guys are putting a clinic on, you're coming to town, um, which is pretty exciting you. And it looks like, I guess, coach Abdu, uh, and there's a clinic for the, uh, I guess, high school level athletes. There's a splash ball clinic. There's a clinic for the coaches. There's a clinic for the referees. Um, so an opportunity for everybody in St. Louis to, to basically come out um, and tell us a little bit about the clinic. Like, well, what, what can the athletes expect? What can the coaches expect? Um, and, I mean, what can the referees expect? 
Yeah, this is it's not only for St. Louis athletes, but Missouri, Midwest, yes, right. Midwest and the entire Midwest zone. We've uh, we have athletes that have already registered from Chicago area, um, Ohio. Um, you know, hopefully the weather's okay and everybody Fingers can make crossed. it out. Yeah. Fingers crossed. But you know, once you're in that heated pool, it's, everything will be great. Uh, there will be different curriculums for the varying levels of participants. The coaches will have a coaching seminar. Uh, the referees will have a high-level evaluation, and then the athletes will be in the water during their time. And fortunately, everyone's going to be able to intermingling. So once the officials do their thing, the coaches do their thing, they'll be on deck helping you know, coordinate and run, run the practices. Some of the coaches, including myself, will actually be in the water with the athletes running through some fundamental as well as high-level drills. And just, you know, we're looking for a really fun, productive weekend of water pole so that athletes can go back to their teams and contribute, you know, at an even higher level on a consistent basis. So um, I think the easiest web domain to find is fiveyear.com forward slash Missouri. So uh, and for all for all the athletes listening, I mean, we're really excited about this opportunity that uh... – Coach, you were able to get set up with the help of uh, Coach Miguel Figueres. It's going to be at MICDS, which is a pool that just opened. It's a beautiful new pool. It's from uh, the cool the pool that Kevin Kerber, your uh, fellow college teammate, his his high school. So um, really looking forward to the camp and uh, the opportunity to have you guys out. So yeah, Kevin, Kevin Kerber, a local legend, um, fellow <laughs> anteater. Hey, I don't know if I'd go that far, but. <laughs> But Miguel really has been the brainchild, not only for this camp, but a lot of the growth of water polo in the zone. Um, he's obviously trying to continue to bring high-level opportunities for everybody, and he's a great resource of kind of connecting people uh, both in the state and out of state of what it takes to get to the next level. So uh, we wanted to finish up here talking a little bit about goaltending since uh, you have obviously – great perspective on that having played uh that in the olympics can you first just backing up a little bit tell tell us how you got into goaltending and i guess your unique perspective at having played both in the field and in the goal yeah uh, honestly i think one of the bigger things that drew me to the position of goalie that um was the impact that you can make on the game um a phenomenal field player will score three goals and it'll be a big deal to have a hat trick while a goalkeeper, in my opinion, if you only have three goals, three goal saves in the game, your team is most likely not going to win. Um, so you're making you know, double-digit saves, 10-plus saves in the game, and really making a huge impact in the game, kind of being a leader defensively and also setting the tempo of the offensive transition as well. Um, with that being said, it's a lot of responsibility, a lot of training, which is unique from the field player training, so it's uh, while the field players are doing yardage and conditioning for their stamina, goalies really need to focus on their explosive work. They're fine-tuning their mechanics in the cage. They have zero waste of movements. You know, when you're covering a 10-foot by 3-foot goal, you don't have the luxury of overplaying one side or having your hands too deep. And I think, you know, utilizing video as a resource, but even more consistently, your field players are actually shooting on you to help give you instant feedback of how you can improve in different scenarios is really important. So coach, I, I will admit that with the, the, the club that I coach for and the high school I coach for and, and I, and some of us, we kind of joke, we take the, 
as I like to say it, I said last time, the laissez-faire attitude towards the goalies. Oh, yeah, here's kind of what you're supposed to do. Um, so we, we, ha- we have a goalie coach at our club, Tom Ray, and, and he had some questions, and I obviously have some questions about stuff. Um, and the, the first one really is like, how do you determine uh, who, who's going to be your goalie? And I'm not going to lie, you know, I've picked a goalie before from, you know, oh, let's play five alive, and okay, this kid looks like he's not afraid to get in front of the ball, so on and so forth. Like, what, what are you looking for um, in, a, in an individual that you like, I want that guy to be my goalie? For me, I think it's almost more of a mindset. Someone, whether it's a you know young man or 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 woman, that's composed in any scenario, so they can't get too riled up off of a great save or you know a bar and goal that got scored on them. Someone who stays positive with their teammates and can be a leader both in the water and out of the water. They're obviously going to go. Every athlete's going to get stronger. Every athlete's going to become more experienced. But a lot of times, it's hard to coach the mental aspect. Um, of the game for for anybody. So I think goalies that are really mentally balanced and strong to begin with is a huge asset for any coach. Uh, what about? And I know you touched on this before, and I like what you had to say. What about body type? Does it does it have to be the the six six guy with a, a wingspan? Or I mean, you know, some goalies that sounded like maybe at the national level that weren't as weren't as big, but were still pretty pretty good. Oh, pretty good, dominant. Um, you know, you have somebody like Garrett Danner who. Absolutely dominated collegiate water polo playing the UCLA winning multiple national ch- championships. You know, even Merrill Moses, you know, one of our local heroes, you know, for the U.S. Olympic team, is not your stereotypical body type for for a goalkeeper, but again, just as effective and efficient as possible, very positive, um, and a great leader. Uh, and the other thing I, I really like is that you didn't really get into this sport until you were, I guess, a sophomore and then really started playing, like, I guess, you, you know, your senior year of high school. And so, you know, in today's age, everybody is, like, specializing in in all of these various things. And so it kind of relates to, you know, I feel like, you know, at what point in a in a water polo player's career do we need to start gravitating them towards being a goalie is that something that if I've got a you know a middle school group I should start to identify there or is it something that I should wait until maybe they're in high school before we start saying you know we're going to make you a goalie and you're going to just start focusing on doing goalie stuff I'm a little bit unique in this answer probably in the fact that I think people should hold off until they're a little bit older Um, high school I think is a great time to really specialize in a position you could have a great middle school goalie but also allow allow him or her to also play in the field because I think any additional perspective experience, you know, on both sides of the ball are going to be beneficial in the long run. Talk a little bit about um, the athletic, uh, I mean, the athletic qualities you're looking for in a goalie. I mean, I've heard it said before that your goalkeeper should be the best athlete in the pool. Uh, Very important. I think goalies should be the fastest people in the pool for three strokes. Um, (laughs) And that's, you know, I'm joking, but at the same time, very serious. They don't have to be able to, you know, swim 200 meters like Michael Phelps or do flip turns um, because they have to be the quickest people to strike out for a steal, um, the most explosive when they're moving for a a lunge, um, you know, in transition, they're getting the ball moving forward, making a perfect pass full court. So they have to also be one of the most accurate passers slash shooters. And I kind of use those terms interchangeably because, all shot is is a hard pass to the corner, um, and a f- field player is doing it from six or seven meters out, whereas a goalie sometimes may be doing it from 20 meters out right to a field player's hand on transition. 
So from a, from a coach perspective, when you're planning practices, I mean, do you usually think that the goalies should be doing the same things as the rest of the players in the pool, or are you more along the lines of that they should be doing some of their own stuff in practice as well? I think a goalie spends 99% of their time in a vertical position in the cage during a game. So they should be spending a majority of their time in a vertical position in their practices. You know, a few times they're going to be working on sprinting out, but the same way field players are doing conditioning swim sets, I think goalies should be doing conditioning lunge sets. Um, so it becomes muscle memory with no waste of movement. Okay, so uh, I'm facing off. I've get a, I get a five I get a five meter penalty shot against Coach Kerr. Uh, what 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 am I thinking as a shooter, and and what do I do to to obviously put the goal in the net? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Kevin Kerber's been most, trying to figure that out for years. <laughs> most 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 of my career, that was one of my strong suits was blocking penalty shots, and I actually think. Again, psychologically, a goalie has a huge advantage because the field player is expected to score the quote-unquote penalty shot because their team was just robbed a uh, scoring opportunity. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're facing one-on-one with all the pressure on them. Um, shooters need to be composed. And I would actually, the biggest piece of advice I would say is to take your time. A lot of goalies will lunge and overcommit, whether it's diving to one side or diving forward to take away the angle. So utilize that time and have a big wind-up without coming too far forward off that five-meter line so the referee doesn't call call it, and shoot wherever the goalie is not. Okay, well, Coach, uh, I think that kind of wraps up. We don't want to keep you too long here, so I think that kind of wraps up our conversation. We will see you on uh, February 3rd and 4th. Coach, you got anything uh, else you want to add or – no, it's, I think it's awesome that you guys are doing this podcast, not only for your zone, but for the entire water polo community. Um, keep it up. And, you know, I would love to be able to contribute more on a consistent basis. Yeah. So you guys have yeah. questions for right. field players. Hey, you I'll, said it. I'll All try right. to connect you. <laughs> no, hold me to it. Um, okay. Awesome. Thank you, Coach. Enjoy your evening. Have a good night, Ray. See you, Charles.